Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. It's boom time in Dorchester. That's what Bill Forey of the Dorchester Reporter told me and my colleague, Bruce Mole, when we sat down to talk with him about what's going on in Boston's largest neighborhood. The boom is good in almost every way, Forey told us. The asterisk, he said, is that the good times are not so great for lower-income residents. Many are now facing the sort of displacement that has already hit places like South Boston and Somerville. We talked about the intrigue over redevelopment of the Boston Globe site on Morrissey Boulevard. The newspaper is moving its editorial offices downtown next month. There's also the mystery over what multimillionaire developer Gerald Chan has in mind for a parcel along Dorchester Avenue that he scooped up recently for more than $5 million. I asked him what it's meant to have the first Dorchester resident in the mayor's office in more than 50 years. Forey is perhaps the less well-known half of the neighborhood's most prominent power couple. His wife is State Senator Linda Forey. Bruce and I are both residents of Dorchester and pretty familiar with it, but we don't hold a candle to the Dorchester born and raised newspaper publisher and editor. So, Bill Forey, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to have you here. And we are going to talk a little about Dorchester, uh, the city of Boston's largest neighborhood. And we thought nobody better than Bill Forey of the Dorchester Reporter to kind of give us a sense of, of the state of things. And, and I know it's a, it's a big, wide-open question, but just tell us if people ask you, you know, you know, to sort of describe the state of, state of the neighborhood in 2017, how do you... Uh, how do you capture it these days? Well, first of all, as you know well, Michael, as a longtime Dorchester resident, um, this is one of those moments in, in the neighborhood's history, um, which I don't know that people foresaw. You know, a, a, lot, a lot of us uh, who've been here a long time perhaps um, did. But it's, it's boom time in Dorchester. I don't think there's any other way to put it in, in both in the way it's building and expanding and growing with population and with imagination and with energy in, in, in almost every way a good thing, um, but with an asterisk that um, it is displacing people and that there, there is a great deal of anxiety about what that will mean for um, what we are as a neighborhood um, in the context of what we've been in terms of being a working class neighborhood mixed with uh, many different income levels, many different ethnicities, and as a welcoming um, landing spot for, for new immigrants. Um, that's very much uh, changing. It's, it's always the case in, in any city, in any neighborhood, in any city, uh, that change is a part of the dynamic. But um, change is happening in, in a precipitous way, perhaps, in uh, communities across Dorchester, and not just in ones along the Red Line um, or along the Fairmount Line, as people talk about now, but throughout and in, par- in parts of the neighborhood that historically have been insulated um, from change, for better or for worse. And so that displacement is, is real and it's happening. I mean, Bruce and I were just talking earlier today, and there have been, I mean, there was a story in the Globe this week about Somerville and places that have clearly been seeing huge change and huge run-up in prices and people being pushed out. Uh, and, and, and I guess even though I'm, as you say, a longtime resident, I'm not probably as as, uh, as, as, as clued in as you mm. are to the extent to which that really has 
taken hold in Dorchester. So you're saying it is, and it's and it's pretty widespread. It is happening throughout. Um, it, it's been happening the last several years, um, and and what's really at work right now, I think, Michael, is. Um, Organizations, you can see it in, in the work they're doing to try to get ahead of it in places where perhaps it hasn't taken hold in a, um, a complete way. Cobman Square is an example I'd point to in, in, in your neighborhood um, where the Cobman Square Neighborhood Development Corporation is spending quite a bit of its time organizing uh, longtime residents, mainly people of color, in the interest of uh, trying to get folks to maintain ownership of their homes rather than to, to sell them or to... Um, in some cases, uh, agree to financing deals which may not be in their interest. Um, but it's all with an eye towards an anxiety about changing demographics and change, the changing is the C word as people use character, and sometimes that's seen as a pejorative. Um, but uh, for folks who are concerned about um, a, a lopsided change towards gentrification, the G word, right. um, that's very much in the minds of organizations like that. So they're, they're holding meetings, they're, they're, they're bringing residents in and flyering neighborhoods, uh, attempting to um, help them strategize towards uh, keeping generational uh, ownership of homes. So Dorchester always has a reputation. When I tell people I'm from Dorchester, they, they always sort of cringe a little bit because mm-hmm. when you read the news, it always seems the dead bodies, they say, yeah. seem to end up in Dorchester. Um, but it, what's, what's causing this in Dorchester, in your opinion? I know there's some investment that hasn't become visual yet in a, in a big way, but is it South Boston's just sort of getting so expensive that people are starting to say, oh, let's try Dorchester? Or yes. is it sort of the, <laughs> yeah, what do you think? It absolutely is that, uh, in part. So part of it is our housing stock, which lends itself towards um, being um, either restored or condo condominiumized, um, which is an affordable way for people to find ownership in the city still. Rents um, are less expensive than they are absolutely in the city core, including South Boston. And so for um, working professionals, young professionals in particular, it's become a more desirable destination. Amenities have grown up over the last decade. Um, Things like uh, the Naponsa Greenway, which is about to open its latest extension, um, things like Pope John Paul II Park, uh, and in, increased, although as we all know at this table, the red line is n- never our uh, most reliable friend, the stations have been upgraded. So all these um, changes for the better in, in terms of amenities coupled with the, um, uh, you know, the affordability factor mm-hmm. in comparison to the rest of the city is clearly driven um, uh, the workforce housing into Dorchester and into Mattapan now increasingly. And, uh, and so it is, it is in some ways um, boom time for the benefit of the greater region. Um, and and it, it's leavened with that idea that, that some people are anxious about what it will mean for their future in the city. Have you noticed a change in the advertising you get? I mean, are, yeah. are people trying to target these people moving in with their ads? or To some extent. We've seen certainly um, the cable wars that are now going on in the city have, have manifested themselves in that way. Um, there's a great deal of competition now for uh, between the various cable companies, which we didn't see before. But yes, there are, there are new developments arising, um, and, and um, people want to speak to newer residents as well as to people who are, um, are, you know, making decisions about whether to stay. 
And um, so we, we are seeing, in, in terms of advertising, things we've always seen, the healthcare sector, uh, banks and lending institutions, city government for sure, um, but also um, real estate, definitely uh, something that we're seeing more of in terms of people, um, uh, realtors advertising their offerings. But with all the anxiety, Bill, and the potential downsides, how would you, I mean, there's obviously sort of an upside to what's happened in the neighborhood with this interest in it, I would I would think uh, you you would, would agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, more investment. I mean, you know, I mean, this was true across the city. I mean, back in the 70s, you know, there was arson. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it was a, it was, you know, like night and day to think about the neighborhood today compared to those those days, you know, restaurants popping up, yeah. uh, the sort of quality of life, I guess, for people who can afford to be there, That's I think true. has improved. And what has it meant, I guess, just for the neighborhood overall? I think it, it certainly is, um, it's preferable to where we were. Uh, there's no question that um, periods in the 1970s, 1980s, and the 1990s were, were very bleak at times. Um, homicide uh, rates, which were uh, compared to t- today's rates, uh, um, unbearable. In, right, in like some triple. Ways. Yeah, 100 rates. And 152, I believe, in 1990, and uh, touching every corner of the community. And it's not to say that that has, um, by any means, been eliminated. I mean, that's still a constant um, factor for folks who live in in most parts of the city, including Dorchester, but. Um, there is a, a dynamic element to the community now with new business opening, with um, community groups doing more than just reacting to um, to problems. They're looking to, to be catalysts for new enterprise. They're partnering together. I'll give you the example that's on the cover of the reporter today, which is a, a new idea uh, to create a greenway along the tunnel cap of the red line between Fields Corner and Ashmont Station, um, it's it's currently you know just kind of a you know just a concrete stretch of a tunnel ceiling, and a group of people have come together and said you know what let's turn this into a green space with bike lanes with you know different amenities along the way make it a green space. Um, I think they have in mind both our own Neponsa Greenway and also um, the the New York City's example of reusing old old rail. Uh, for, for, for use. And, uh, but this isn't coming from government. It's coming from um, civic organizations. It's coming from private business people who are saying, hey, this, is a, this would be a good use. This would help lift up the community. That's what's exciting now. I think a lot of times Dorchester was playing defense uh, in terms of reacting to problems, being besieged in a way by crime, by disinvestment, and by blight. And we still have some of that. But now a lot of the organizing is around um, creating new opportunities for business and for civic life um, and to enhance it. That's exciting to see. It's a different kind of thing. Um, when we would cover meetings, and, and you were there too in the 90s, uh, it was all about you know, traffic, crime, and, um, and, and concerns about just public safety in general. And now people are talking about, they're still talking about traffic for sure, uh, but they're talking about um, ways that they can improve without um, a focus on the negative. It's 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 been inspiring. Uh, well, I'm, maybe a specific thing I'd like to turn to a section of Dorchester. Uh, mm. You just wrote about it in your in your paper this week, 
the Globe was planning to sell its property at 135 Morrissey Boulevard. Correct. Uh, it's the second buyer they had for it, and, the, and this is the second time the buyer withdrew seemingly at the last moment for unknown reasons. And I noticed you asked, was it because of some environmental problem on the property? And we're told no. Yes. But what do you hear? Something's got to be going on over there. Um, that's sort of a key piece of property as, sure as that area changes. And I'm just sort of curious what you're... Well, I'm very curious to know, too. And I, I don't know when this deal collapsed. We don't know for sure if it was in, in you know this week or in, in past months. It's been uh, over a, just about a year since, they re, uh, uh, since the Globe ownership acknowledged that they had a deal in place. And uh, this week, the Globe itself broke the story. However, it was rather buried, I would say, on B14 of the Metro. Um, still, uh, it is curious that in both the, the, the first case about three years ago with the Wynn Stanley Company based in Concord, and now with the second buyer pulling out apparently um, reportedly Center Cord, which is a New York-based firm. And we don't have an explanation. Part of the, um, the mystery around these both deals is that they have confidentiality agreements. Obviously, neither the Henry ownership nor the, the other parties have discussed publicly what, what the terms of their deal was. Uh, we do know from sources uh, that we've developed, and it's been reported elsewhere, too, that the, the asking price was north of $80 million, and that apparently was the agreed-upon price. Uh, which is $10 million more than John Henry paid for the Boston Globe in 2013. Um, which and is the Worcester one. Telegram. Correct. Oh, yeah. When I said the Boston Globe, I should have said all the holdings of the Globe, right. not just the property, too. So um, there's, a, there's a good deal of um, suspicion that it has an environmental root, whether it's on the Globe property itself or if, it, if the mitigation of that property would somehow impact Patton's Cove, which is the... Uh, sensitive and protected marshland that's right next right to the next Globe to property yeah. between Savin Hill and the Globe. Um, it's possible. They have said that it's not an environmental problem that's causing this. Uh, the first deal we were told was uh, they had problems getting their financing together. Um, who knows? What we do know is that um, everything is on the table, according to Sean Cohen, who's the Globe COO, in terms of what they may do next. And so you have to um, or, or we do presume that that could include John Henry and Linda Pazuti Henry, his wife, whose family is involved in real estate, developing, uh, it, developing themselves. it themselves. Yeah. And that's a possible outcome here, um, although I think it's too early to say for sure. The community um, has outlined what they would like to see through a master planning project that happened uh, over several years of the Menino administration, and that is explicit about creating a mixed-use community on what is now the Globe site, uh, including adjacent properties uh, uh, up the boulevard. Um, so this would be a mix of housing, of retail, of office space with new streets. So a whole new little sub-neighborhood in there. Um, now, for people that might not know, there's the Globe, which is just off the expressway, and next to it is the old Channel 56, which is owned by Herb Chambers now. Yes. And then there's a radio station yes. sort of office building, and then Shaw's. This is Shaw's, yeah. So you, do you envision all that changing? or well, That is what the, um, the, the master plan for Columbia Point envisioned in 2011. Now, that's getting a bit stale. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so even Marty, Mayor Marty Walsh has said, perhaps we need to revisit that, that plan. However, they haven't, um, despite all the swirl of potential and with the now, now the, uh, you, you know, the assured departure of the globe, which is ma a matter of weeks away in terms of the newsroom staff. 
Um, so you could have two buildings sitting there empty. Uh, if the globe departs and no no buyers there, you correct. Could have, and, and the next door building is also vacant yeah. right now. Yes, and Herb Chambers has made a uh, made a proposal last year, although it hasn't been filed with the city. Uh, but he's brought it to neighborhood the neighborhood planning boards to build a luxury car dealership on that site. It was it's a huge hulking. Uh-huh. Uh, five-story car dealership for Land Rover and Jaguar. Exactly what Dorchester <laughs> needs. <laughs> Before that, it was BMW that he had proposed. So I think there's, there's uh, conventional wisdom has it that Herb Chambers was is kind of using that as a placeholder and you know see probably wisely so to see what the Globe site develops into and perhaps could have had his own arrangement on the side here with uh, Center Court. Apparently, all of that is, is off the table uh, we just don't know. I mean, one thing, one critique of this, which I think is is fair from the community point of view, is that this has been a very opaque process, and it often is with private interests, of course. But this is an institution, the Boston Globe, that also has a civic responsibility that's that that is perhaps greater than most, and um, the the lack of communication, the lack of uh, understanding, and and frankly, the the fact that this has now been in limbo, right. essentially for for four years. Is a, is a concern, and it's a political concern, too. And, I mean, talking about the idea, whether, it, whether, it's, whether it's really on the, uh, in, on the table or not, of a luxury car dealership, it sort of, in a way, is sort of evokes for me this idea about the soccer stadium in the sense that both of them are be, being contemplated, if they were, because of their location, you know, for the region. I mean, nobody, it's not going to be a lot of Dorchester Jaguar buyers, but it's... Presumably. But it's but its, its proximity <laughs> off the expressway makes that potentially an attractive site for something like that. And in the same way, there had been talk of a soccer stadium. I mean, there, there probably would be more Dorchester residents going to a soccer game there than, than going to the, the, the Jaguar dealership. Mm. But it still was more of an idea that, that the Crafts had uh, that was looking more regionally yes. uh, for a place to put a soccer stadium. This looked like a good spot because of its you know spot along the expressway and the T. But I know you at the, in the paper were, were uh, not at all a big fan of this idea, and, and, and local officials in the area weren't really sure what it was going to do for the, for the communities right around there. Well, I'll qualify that to say um, we weren't a big fan of the way it was hidden from public view, mm-hmm. uh, particularly a, a piece of land as we have with Bayside Expo, uh, the former Bayside Expo Center that is controlled by a you know, quasi-public agency, uh, the UMass Building Authority. Um, which when they typically do projects and seek developers, they would put out an RFQ or an RFP and seek a range of ideas and, and, and bids, but they didn't do that um, to our understanding. And let's not forget, too, that um, this is also a parcel that was um, considered the, uh, the right place by the Boston 2024 committee to put the Olympic Athletes Village. So this is another example of a, a very important parcel or parcels on Dorchester's waterfront which have really been uh, tied up in, in a way that kind of defies what you would expect given the opportunity of this boom time and the opportunity to plan in a cohesive way uh, a part of the city that really is ready for transformational growth. Um, the fact that there hasn't been, uh, despite the existence of that master plan I mentioned, that there hasn't been more activity here is kind of disturbing. And you worry about the, a missed opportunity because these boom times, as we all know, don't last. So yeah. with a window on this, when does it close? We don't know. 
but uh, it's certainly where, you know, to hear if you talk to Brian Golden, the head of the BPDA, as they call it now, you know, he was saying it's, you know, five minutes to midnight in terms of the doomsday clock on the on this uh, growth period. He was saying that 24 months ago. Um, so it, we just don't know. But these are these are massive um, parcels, 16 acres with the globe. Um, it's something on that on par with that at the Bayside Expo Center. So these are not small in, in parcels, particularly in a Boston with a shrinking um, availability of, of land. Do you see that as um, sometimes I don't even envision that as part of Dorchester because you have the expressway sort of cutting through the area, and then on the other side you have all these sort of big hulking institutions. Yeah. So it's sort of hard to get my mind around a neighborhood over there growing up because there's it is a pretty congested area right now. Yeah. Um, do you have that same problem, or do you do you do you actually sort of see that happen? No, I think, and you know, it, it kind of um, it kind of connects with what we talked about earlier in this program, which is Dorchester's change over the years and and, and its reputation. And for many years, Columbia Point, which is that part of Dorchester, uh, has seemed disconnected from the rest of the neighborhood. But it is. It's it's uh, it's a part of Dorchester historically. It's one that uh, many of us have clung to in a way because it's because it, it it would offset some of the negative things. You know, to have the Kennedy Library, a presidential library, in our neighborhood is a point of pride. To have the Globe there, um, to have other institutions, UMass Boston, of course, um, has been something that we do point to because. Nobody should take that away from Dorchester. It is part, I mean, part of the reason the Kennedy Library is there, besides it being a wonderful piece of property, mm. is because of the Dorchester connection for the Kennedy family um, to that part of the city and to that part of Massachusetts. So um, people who are from there and, and who identify strongly with the neighborhood, like, you know, we, we, uh, we, we won't surrender that, that, uh, that piece of, of, of the neighborhood. Um, but it is the it is a fact that um, it's it's very institutional and there isn't a lot of residential there. Although there, uh, the, the what is now called the Harbor Point development, formerly Columbia Point, is a uh, pretty thriving residential community of more than a thousand people. Most of them students at the University of Massachusetts. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and I I'm going to plead ignorance on knowing any details about this, but there was an investor who bought a lot of the property along Dorchester Avenue, yes. I think between Fields Corner and Columbia Road. Um, and I'm I'm not even exactly sure where it starts and where it ends, but I I have not seen it. The traffic down that road is pretty bad most times, so I don't go down. I go down there as little as I can. But right. what what do you hear about that? What is what is going on there? Well, it's a fluid situation, Bruce. There, there's definitely been a new acquisition in the last year by Gerald Chan and, and his uh, representatives. And he, of course, is a, a Chinese-American uh, or Chinese national, actually, who controls a good deal of property in Cambridge and in Boston, has, has been buying up parcels of land. He, he purchased uh, several industrial properties along Dorchester Avenue, which are not presently in development. We don't know what his intentions are. He is non-communicative, uh, at least with with the press, and from what I understand, with public officials for the most part, um, we don't have a clear understanding of what he intends to do. Seems to be a pattern here. He is buying <laughs> up a lot of land. Um, what is happening that we can document is um, there is a significant um, project that is uh, in the BRA pipeline now, the BPDA pipeline, uh, which would be built along that stretch of Dorchester Avenue um, by an investment group 
that that uh, that the publicly is called dot block. It's uh, over 450 new units of housing. It would uh, this parcel parcels together would include once developed um, uh, apparently a supermarket. This would be in the uh, that area of Dorchester Ave that you like to avoid, and I do too, if I can, if I can, because vehicularly it's impossible. Um, just north of um, of Freeport Street, mm-hmm. along along the avenue, it's been blighted, and uh, you just you know untouched for many decades. Yeah, um, there have been some uses going on in there, but they're not uh, they're, they're not attractive and they're not pedestrian friendly. This would be you, a major You can definitely development. get your oil changed along that stretch, right? <laughs> yeah. That's always the, the how many oil changes that yeah, does a neighborhood you, need you is what a, I always feel. You, you, can par- you can do it in the parking lot in some of those places. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can, and you can get your tires fixed at the same time. Yeah. Um, so some of that will stay, um, but the dot block development, which is, it, has been, it has been approved by the city, it's been green-lighted. Uh, it's Gerald Chan, as we've reported, is is now an investor in that as well. In that as well. So okay. he is certainly a major player. What's troubling, as it is in Columbia Point, is is this uh, uncertainty about you know what's the object, what's the ultimate right. uh, goal, and what role will the community have in in having any say in that? Um, there has been pressure, and there has been a critique from from me and others that uh, the Walsh administration needs to be more aggressive. And uh, one of the manifestations of that apparently is a new planning initiative in Glover's Corner, which is roughly where we're talking about there between Freeport and Savin Hill. Um, there's, as many people know, a huge city uh, bus yard there right. that's privately managed, but it's city buses uh, for the public school system. Uh, it's the biggest bus depot in the city, and it's taking up a lot of space that arguably could be redeveloped. That's probably the next frontier um, in Dorchester development. So that planning initiative has just begun in the last month. It'll be ongoing for the past year, and it's really modeled on the planning that's been done in Roxbury, Jamaica Plain, and in South Boston in the last two years. So I, I, I just want to pick an argument with you on one thing. So sure. I know you're, you and your wife, Senator Linda Dorsinafori, are big supporters of the Mattapan trolley. Yes. Um, I used to ride it all the time. Uh, It's sort of a a historic museum on wheels, if you will. What do you you like about it so much? Why do you want to spend, it would seem, we're going to spend a lot of money if if your view prevails to Mm. buttress these aging, this aging fleet of cars. Well, I would say two things. One is that as aged as they might be, they function. They function, they serve a purpose, they are fairly reliable uh, in a system which is not, that's not always the case. In poor winter weather, they can go down, but so can the red line and the orange line. Sure. And so um, certainly they have their, their moments of deficiency, but they, they're also part of the neighborhood's history in a way that um, few transportation pieces are. I mean, they're from the 1940s, they have a... Um, they have a, a bit of an antique feel, when, even when you're riding them. Um, but they they also add a, I will use the word charm. They do add a charm to a section of the city which um, didn't always have it. Right. And uh, I remember as a child walking along those tracks before the Neponsa Greenway when they when that part of uh, the the neighborhood was really walled off uh, by barbed wire and fences and it wasn't attractive. As the trolley rattles by, as you're walking or as you're riding it, 
through Cedar Grove Cemetery, along the Neponset River, into Mattapan Square, it's just it's it's a lovely experience, and it, and for riders too who, who ride it, and people you know my son rides it every day, uh, I rode it every day for for a long time, and uh, never felt that it was insufficient. Uh, it's been upgraded so that there's air conditioning. Um, not everything needs to be a rapid bus, and I think a bus would be. Uh, would would definitely be a step backwards for that corridor, in mm-hmm. my view. But I want to stress for these those of you listening, this is a 1940s era car that the T actually has to create parts they to, do to make them work. Um, yeah, it's a it's a challenge to keep. I mean, I th- I agree with you. They work pretty well when they work, but they're from the 1940s, right. so they were no one's making them anymore. There may be a sunset on this, and I'm 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 prepared to uh, to be open minded about that. This T is studying this issue, as you know, and the control board is is plugged into that very closely, and and they have an, a, a bigger fiduciary responsibility than I do. But uh, from the neighborhood perspective, there's clearly a sentiment uh, from not only the electeds and and the local newspaper, but from people. Right. <laughs> I mean, I like maybe there's a it. parallel with Fenway Park, which is yeah, considerably older. I mean, that you know. It's a little bit of a forced comparison, but mm-hmm. the new ownership group did decide they were going to put money into into the stadium back when there was plans or talk about a whole new stadium and tearing down Fenway. But at the same time, I think they've said this is not, you know, it's not a forever thing. Uh, Fenway will have its its time will come too. I, I don't know. I'd personally like to see if they were to make a change in in the um, in the actual rolling stock, Bruce. I'd prefer to see something brand new. Something that we don't even know about yet, okay. ten years down the line. Something that's going to be innovative and yet have some kind of interesting character to it, rather than a bus. None of us want buses. I can say categorically, no one I've talked to in that part of the neighborhoods want that. Some people do. You're right. Do do feel the trolley's outdated, and maybe they want some more, you know, uh, comforts. Um, but uh, a bus isn't what they're thinking. I think so. The T has said to us that they they're open to you know new technologies and. That could be any number of things. So we'll, we shall see. A yeah. bullet train, maybe. Yeah, I was, I was thinking like the Jetsons when you said something new that we haven't thought of. I keep, I'm thinking of the Jetsons or a little track and everybody puts on little jet packs and shoots, Individual shoots along pods there. Individual zipping you maybe. along the river. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the last thing I just wanted to ask you about was um, uh, the, the mayor of the city is now a resident of Dorchester. Um, you can maybe uh, enlighten us as to when the last time uh, we had a we had a Dorchester mayor, but what what is it what has it meant for the neighborhood uh, that that uh, Marty Walsh is a Dorchester guy? Right. Well, it was John B. Hines was the last Dorchester. So this is the forties. He lived in the he would have been in the nineteen sixties, and uh, Hines was um, was you know somebody who succeeded and actually defeated uh, Mayor Curley. But he lived in the Cobbman Hill. The last Hill time a sitting mayor was knocked off, right? Yeah, Uh-oh. yeah. And, Don't and tell Marty was, Walsh that. <laughs> well, he he uh, he. You know, Marty Walsh is um, is is running against a Dorchester person this time. So either way, Dorchester wins. I is suppose. he? You know, I've had that argument with Tito Jackson. He claims that it's Roxbury, but he's right in that spot. Well, that, he's uh, told me it's Dorchester. Really? So maybe we need to pin oh, him down on gonna, that. Tito, a, if you're I listening, think, uh, you know. <laughs> You better get that one correct. Wow, this is a big uh, he's from Grove story Hall, here. and there is a lot of murkiness in Grove Hall. Uh-huh. Uh, we're what's Roxbury and Dorchester, but we always like to claim our folks when we can. So, sure. <laughs> uh, but in this case, so this uh, is a Dorchester smackdown. It could be a Dorchester fight, and you know, uh, Roxbury 
and parts of Dorchester are in play. And, uh, and that's why I think you saw when uh, both men uh, and, and others who were seeking the office the first day you could gather signatures, they were both standing on the same blat- bus platform in Dudley Square. Uh, that's a battleground. Uh, Dorchester will be interesting, but Marty, what it's meant for Dorchester to have Marty Walsh uh, so far has been, you know, there have been a number of people, part of his organization, who are city employees. There's no question he's brought people on. He's been, um, he's clearly had a rapport with the public safety unions that his predecessor did not have. Um, and so, in, in, from what, what, depending on your perspective, that's been good or bad. But it's clearly been uh, he's had a more more of a working relationship with those unions, and uh, and it's also meant clearly. And, and part of this is a function of the boom we've been talking about. There's been you know unprecedented growth, or at least unprecedented in the last uh, four or five decades in terms of um, projects moving through the BR, BPDA p- pipeline of um, of you know energy going towards development in this part of the city. That is not exclusively the uh, the purview or to the credit of this mayor, but uh, he certainly is encouraging it, and things are moving quickly through the pipeline. I think in, with an eye towards capitalizing on this moment and capitalizing on the economic potential. Um, so he he's been doing he's been delivering in that sense. Uh, there's a critique out there that, as, as I've articulated earlier, he could be doing more to do that, and uh, and perhaps. Um, that will be, you know, manifest itself in this election season. We'll see. But, uh, but clearly, you know, it's never a bad thing to have the leader of the city uh, from your neighborhood or whether it's your street or your block or just that, Then general. it might even come down to, you know, they say the snow plows come first or, you know, all those uh, stories, yeah, whether they're yeah. true or not. All well, right. They probably are. Great. Well, Bill Forey uh, from the Dorchester Reporter, thanks so much for coming in and joining us on the podcast this week. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. I'm Michael Jonas. Please check us every week, and you can get the podcast via SoundCloud or iTunes. For Bruce Mole, thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.